Let me add my welcome to everyone. My name's Steve, um, if you don't know me. Thank, hello. And um, I am also one of the leaders here. And today I get to continue our series in um, our summer series of looking at the story of Joseph. And um, the series title is Kingdom Living in a Hostile World. And we've seen a lot of um, highs and lows, really, in Joseph's story, haven't we, so far? Um, there's, been lots of, there's been lots of hostility, but there's also been times of favour. So we mustn't discount the favour. Lots of highs and lows. So Joseph goes. So I've got to recap the story now, which um, that, the later you get on in the series, obviously becomes like harder and harder and longer and longer. So I'm going to have to go fast. Otherwise, there won't be any time to actually preach. Paul Simon, he's, this is the penultimate preach. So next week, Simon's got the last one. He's got to do the whole thing. So, um, but yeah, so the story so far, the highs and lows. So Joseph starts off with a coat, doesn't he? That's the famous bit. He gets a coat. It's a sign of favour from his dad. And he has these dreams. His brothers are going to bow down to him. That's a real high. Lots of favour. But then suddenly he finds himself begging for his own life. His, his brothers aren't very happy about this. They, they want to kill him. They throw him in a pit. And he's begging for his own life. And he's sold into, um, into slavery. Um, and that's a bit of a low. He, he ends up overworked and underpaid. You know, it's not a good career choice, kids, if you, you know to go into slavery. Um, but God was with him, wasn't he? He's in Potiphar's house, and God's with him, and God's blessing him, and he's blessing Potiphar through Joseph. He's successful. He has a successful career as a slave. Um, everything's going well. He's, he's put in charge of the house, and then suddenly, false accusations, false accusations of, um, of, of, of attempted rape, and he's thrown into prison. And, he's, and he goes from, from another high to another, another low, from favour um, to hostility again. And then he's in prison and he works hard. He's trusted to look after the other prisoners, particularly these two important officials who have been imprisoned, the king's cupbearer and the king's baker. So he's serving them. He's looking after them. He's given responsibility. And in fact, it comes to the point where these two guys have a dream and he's able to interpret their dream. And not only does he have the interpretation, but actually the interpretation comes comes to fruition. And um and so the, the, he says, you know, the, the baker's going to be executed and the cupbearer's going to be restored to the king. So that's exciting. He says to him, don't forget me. You know, when you get back to the king, when you're back to serving Pharaoh, don't forget me. And off the, off the um, cupbearer goes. And then nothing. Two more years in prison. Two more years hopelessness, complete hopelessness. Um, he's forgotten by the cupbearer. Uh, but then all of a sudden, one night Pharaoh has this has traumatic dreams and um, it, it disturbs him so much he tries to find the answer to these dreams and no one can tell him what the meaning of these dreams are except for the cupbearer who remembers Joseph and says actually there's a guy in prison who can interpret dreams and so he's brought out from the prison I think that must have been quite a scary time for Joseph you know that there's a shout goes through through the prison gates you know to bring up Joseph the Hebrew um, and he doesn't know at that point why is he being being brought up out of prison is it for his execution and he's brought out and I think this is another low you know the Egyptians they used to like shave themselves it says he was he was shaved so he's probably shaved from head to toe and um, waxed and, and and had makeup put on him and and you know put perfumes and stuff on him so he could be brought before he was an acceptable kind of state to be brought before pharaoh so there's another low i think but then he gets to pharaoh's palace he gets to pharaoh's palace and he brings the interpretation the dreams mean seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine then the pharaoh needs to take action now in order to prepare for the famine to come 
and Pharaoh recognises the grace on Joseph, his supernatural ability, and he puts him in charge of this kind of national relief programme, doesn't he? He says, OK, you can be in charge of this relief programme to prepare for the famine. And then Joseph, you know, we heard um, when Tom preached, he recognises that God had made him successful, had brought him out and made him successful. So then he's riding on a high. He's riding on a high. He's second only to Pharaoh. He's administering this relief program. He's, he's collecting all the grain. Um, uh, and, and then he's distributing it to, to, to basically all of the known world because all of the known world's having to come to Egypt for food because they're the only ones that had put food aside for the famine. And then one day while he's sitting in his, his um, court and people are coming to collect food, he's overseeing it, this band of, um, of brothers turns up and he recognises them. His brothers have turned up because they also need food. And is that a high or a low? I think it's a bit of both, isn't it? It's a high, it's a, it's a high you know, here are these brothers he hasn't seen for years. It's also a low that um, suddenly he's reminded of where he's come from, what he's lost, you know, the last 20 years of pain and agony. And as John um, showed us a few weeks ago, actually he was able to serve his brothers in humility. He didn't reveal who he was, but he ser- served his brothers. And they go off. And then, you know, they use up the food that they've taken and they come back again for more food. And this time they have to bring Benjamin because the first time they didn't bring their, the youngest brother, Benjamin. But Joseph says to them, if you want, if you want um, more food, next time you come, you have to bring all of the brothers, including the youngest. So they bring Benjamin with them. And then Joseph does this weird thing where he, he tests them and he hides his own cup in Benjamin's um, sack. And it's discovered that Benjamin has the, the cup. And he basically accuses them of stealing the, the cup when they haven't. And um, as Rob showed us last week, there's a real battle for forgiveness. Is Joseph going to forgive uh, his brothers? And that brings us to this week. So this week, the big reveal. This is the, this is the week where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Um, we find out, has he forgiven them? We find out, how is he going to treat them? How is he going to respond to them? And actually, what we're going to see is that there's reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. And actually, through that, there's reconciliation for the brothers with the promises of God on their lives. There's reconciliation for the brothers with the promises of God that, that are on their lives, which they almost uh, missed out on. So, just before we pick up the story, Joseph He's this, as far as they're concerned, he's this Egyptian lord. He's accused them of, ste- of he's accused the youngest brother of stealing his cup. He's saying, right, this youngest brother is going to have to stay here and be my slave. The oldest brother, Judah, he says, no, I've promised my dad I'm going to bring him home safe. And basically, he gives this speech, this plea on behalf of Benjamin. He says, don't take him, take me, take me instead. I can't go back to my father without Benjamin. I can't see the distress of my father. I, I take me instead. And it's almost like this kind of prototype of the gospel. Take me. Take me. Let him go and take me. The father wants him. And that's, the, that's almost the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? So that's where we pick up the story. So Joseph, Judah, the, the, this, this um, brother who had, the last time Joseph saw him, um, or, 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 you know, well, Joseph is remembering the time where Judah, um, where, they, where he had to beg for his life from his brothers. Judah just made this plea, spare my brother and take me instead. Um, and then we pick it up. It says, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. Uh, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when they made him known to, when he made himself known to his brothers. 
And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household also heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourself. And so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really uh, it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. We'll stop there. Verse 15. So that was, sorry, I should have said that was Genesis 45, 1 to 15. And what we see here then is reconciliation. Reconciliation is uh, kind of the, the active um, restoration of a relationship, forgiveness, making peace between two warring parties. And we're going to look at three aspects of Joseph's reconciliation with his brothers and the, and the life changing consequences for them and what it means for us today. So the first thing that we see is that um, there's a restoration of relationship between Joseph and his brothers. Verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. There's a gap of 20 years. um, He remembers, it's been 20 years, you know, he's had 20 years of suffering. Um, The last time, you know, he saw them, uh, he remembers them, you know, as they, as they were pulling him out of the pit and he was begging for his life. It's no wonder that at this, at this stage they're terrified. They're, they're terrified and they're, they're uh, afraid for their lives. You know, up to now, Joseph has been this unpredictable Egyptian um, uh, uh, lord. He's powerful. He's intimidating with all his makeup and his finery. The brothers are terrified. They're expecting the worst now. They're expecting the worst from this, this guy. And now, now they found out this is Joseph. This is the brother that we sold into slavery. What is he going to do to us? They've got good reason to be terrified. We often think this is the happy chapter, you know, where the brothers are, are, are reunited. But actually for the brothers, this, it starts off as a pretty unhappy chapter, a pretty scary chapter. Um, and then suddenly they're terrified. So what does Joseph say? He says, um, come close to me. There's an invitation to come close. There's an invitation um, for relationship. And we know, don't we, that sin is the great separator. Sin is a great separator. It puts a wedge between us and God, and it puts a wedge between us and other people. When Satan came 
uh, to tempt Adam and Eve in the garden, his primary objective wasn't actually the act of eating the fruit. That, that wasn't his primary objective. His primary objective was to separate people from God and uh, to create that division between heaven and um, people. Colossians 1.21 tells us that sin alienates us from God and makes us enemies of God. And Adam's, Adam and Eve's response then was to hide. When they, when they realised what they'd done, when they took the fruit, their response was to run and to hide from God, or to try and hide anyway. That separation, that shame, and that guilt that paralyses um, paralyzes us. But the invitation of our Heavenly Father in Christ is come close to me, isn't, isn't it? In Christ, we get the invitation to come close. You know, James tells us, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Wherever you are this morning, wherever you think you are, you know, spiritually, uh, emotionally, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. The temptation, though, is to pull away from God, isn't it? Whenever, whenever we encounter his presence, when we encounter um, his love, when we encounter his power, often there's a temptation to pull, pull away. I'm, I'm reminded of um, Peter in the boat. You know, when Peter uh, um, when sees the miraculous catch of fish, um, when Jesus you know, tells them, throw the net over the other side, and they think, Jesus, you're being ridiculous. We're fishermen. You're a carpenter. We know about fishing. But because it's you, we're going to do it. And they do it, and they pull in a huge, miraculous catch of fish. In fact, they need to get help to pull it in. There's so many fish. And at that point, encountering Jesus' majesty, encountering his power, what does, what does Peter say to Jesus? Did he say, wow, Jesus, you're amazing. You're, you are Lord. No, he says, go away. He says to Jesus, go away from me. It's a bit rude. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He suddenly, um, he suddenly uh, uh, made aware of his sin and how, um, he, how himself, he, he's so far from um, from. Um, uh, that that uh, from from that holiness. But actually, what was Jesus' answer to Peter? He says, "Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid." One John four eighteen tells us, "There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. Per- perfect love drives out fear. There's no fear in love." But perfect love drives out fear. Why? Why does perfect love drive out fear? Because fear has to do with punishment. Yeah. So if you're loved by God, if you're um, if you're redeemed, if you're if you've been made holy, if there's no punishment for you, then there's no fear. There's no fear because there's no fear of punishment. So for Christians, for us, there's it's not a right response to pull away from God. Because there is no punishment for us. Therefore, there should be no fear. We can experience the depths of his love, experience the depths of his holiness, experience the, the, the depths of his grace without wincing. You know, often Christians, I hear Christians say, well, I think God is punishing me. This has happened. I think God is punishing me. But actually, he, God never punishes us. All the punishment has been taken by Jesus, as Isaiah 53, 5 tells us. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. His punishment has brought us peace. His punishment, the punishment that Jesus took on the cross, has, has brought, brought us peace with God. 
There's no enmity now between us and God. By his wounds we are healed. And if you're not a Christian, if you don't know Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus, actually there's that invitation from Jesus. Come close to me. Your punishment has been taken. Your guilt can be forgiven once and for all. And there's an offer, an offer of relationship with the living God, your heavenly father. And his perfect love comes into your life and drives away your fear, even, even today. But this restoration of relationship with God um, has a knock-on effect, doesn't it, without, uh, in terms of our relationship with others? It says, um, Jesus said of the woman, you know, the woman that anointed him, um, anointed his feet. Um, and kind of wept over his feet and dried his, dried his feet with her hair. And then all, all the Pharisees that were around got a bit annoyed about this. And they, they thought it was a bit unbecoming. But Jesus said of her that those who are forgiven much love much. Those who are forgiven much love much. And we are those who are forgiven much. And the more we realise that, the more we love others, the more we extend that forgiveness, that love to others. When we experience forgiveness, it becomes natural to extend that, to, to forgive others. And um, Ephesians 4.32 tells us that, for, um, that we should forgive one another just as uh, in Christ God forgave you. I'll, I'll read the verse properly. So Paul tells the Ephesians, forgiving one another just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiving one another just as in Christ God forgave you. So, we, we're called to forgive as, as we've been forgiven, just as God forgave us. How does God forgive us in Christ? Well, the first is that he forgives us proactively, doesn't he? He forgives us proactively. He came to seek and to save. Jesus left heaven to come and uh, uh, to save us and to bring us and to, to reconnect us with the Father. Um, it was all on his initiative. And that's why, you know, I think Jesus tells us in, in, in Matthew chapter 5 that actually if your brother has a problem with you or if someone in the church has a problem with you, go to them. Don't wait for them to come to you. It's their problem. They, you know, you go to them. Leave your, leave your gift on the altar. You go to them in order to sort it out. There's a proactivity in forgiveness that comes from God. And also we forgive without prejudice. We should forgive without prejudice because actually, you know, the, the promise... Um, the promise of God is for all who are far off. He does, you know, there's no prejudice um, in Jesus. He accepts all that, that come to him. No one is unforgivable and no one is in, irreconcilable as far as Jesus is concerned. And um, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that from now on we, we, regard, we, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. We, review, we view no one as worldly. Whatever someone may have done in the past, whatever, whatever they seem to be now, it doesn't matter. We don't view them with those worldly eyes. We don't view them with those worldly eyes. We're called to view people with heavenly eyes. That actually their current circumstances, their past, that doesn't define them. Doesn't define their future. No one is unforgivable. I love that, that, you know, that, that song, Every Chain is Breakable. If, if, when God gets hold of someone, when Christ gets hold of someone, um, there's, there's creation power at work. The, where, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Creation power is at work. You, know, you say, can this person really change? Well, there's creation 
power at work to completely change, to completely, and then, you know, that's why, that's why you know, the, the term born again often gets um, bandied around in the papers, or he is a born again Christian. But actually, and you can, can lose the significance. Actually, we're born again. We've had new birth. We are a new creation. And that means that no one is out of reach, um, out of reach for him. Um, and it just reminded me, actually, of Esther's word um, about, and, um, sorry, Alison's word about bringing order to chaos. Um, actually, you know, you, the, the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters, that the earth, there, was, there was chaos on the earth. The, ho- the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters and then God spoke and, and brought out creation. God can bring order into your chaos. Okay, so there's restored relationship. The next thing we see um, is, is actually, the question is, how does Joseph... How does Joseph get to this point of forgiveness and reconciliation? And I want to um, suggest to you that there is power in perspective. There is power in perspective. So verse 5 says, and now, this is um, Joseph speaking to his brothers, now, do not be distressed, do not be angry with yourselves for selling, selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And then just in case they didn't get the message, so then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. So three times he, he tells them quite clearly, actually, it was God who sent me. It was God who sent me. It wasn't you. It was God. Joseph is clear about who has sent him to Egypt. He's clear about that. He, you know, it wasn't his father's bad parenting. His, his dad made some bad decisions, giving him the coat, upsetting his brothers. It wasn't his, his dad that sent him to Egypt. It wasn't his brother's schemes that they wanted to, you know, they wanted to kill him and then they decided to sell him into slavery. It wasn't his brothers, actually, who sent him into slavery. They might have thought so. It wasn't the slave traders' greed when they bought him and took him down to Egypt, Egypt to sell him. It wasn't the slave, slave traders' greed that, that sent him to Egypt. It wasn't Potiphar's ambivalence to justice. You know, Potiphar, you know, there's this accusation. I know um, Joseph is a good servant. I'll throw him in prison. It wasn't that injustice that sent him uh, that's, that sent him to Egypt, got him where he was. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't even Pharaoh's authority to call him up out of the prison that actually got him where he was that day. Joseph is clear, actually, that um, God had sent him there for God's purposes. And I... I I don't know who, like, so tomorrow morning when you go to work or, who sent you? Who sent, who sent you to work? Is it, um, is it, you know, do, are, you, are you going to work? Is it your bills? Is it, is it because of the bills you've got to play, pay that you go to work tomorrow? You know, is it because of the university place you want that you that you go to college tomorrow? Is it because of your redundancy? Is it that manager who 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 um, laid you off? Is that the reason why you have to go to the job centre tomorrow? Or is it just all random chance? Is it just random chance? Actually, 
You know, what Joseph isn't saying here to his brothers is, you know what? It all turned all out all right in the end, didn't it? You know, it, OK, it was a bit of a bumpy ride, but in the end, it all seemed to turn out all right. I've got a nice house now, got a nice chariot and, you know, and some bling. I have to wear makeup, but that's a that's that's one of the you know, that's just the way it goes. He's not saying it turned out all right in the end. Therefore, it's OK. No, he's saying, actually, that's not enough for him to forgive his brothers. That's not enough for him to motivate him. You know, when he worked hard for his thankless masters, when he blessed Potiphar, blessed Potiphar's house, when he worked hard in the prison and served, when he interpreted the dreams, he knew that God was working it all together for his good. He was working it all together for his good. There was a much bigger work than just him. Um, uh, he was part of a much bigger work than, 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 than just his life. And, you know, it's hard for us. We won't be able to make sense of the last five years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years of our life um, if, if the story begins with us and if it ends with us. But actually, we have to see that our lives are part of a much bigger story. They're a tiny snippet, actually, in a cosmic eternal story which, which God is telling. And Jesus is the centre of that story. If you... If someone decided they want to make a life, a, a, a film of your of your life, who would play you? Who would play you? Would it be George Clooney, Russell Crowe, maybe um, Liam Neeson? I think for Trevor, the accent, <laughs> the accent, maybe just the accent, but you know, um, maybe um, Dame Judi Dench. I don't know. Who I don't know if, if you've ever, if you've ever thought who would play who would play me in the story of my life if they decided to make a, a film of, about me. Um, but actually, you know, we aren't the, we aren't the center of our story. We aren't the main character in the story of our lives. Jesus is the center, and we are just supporting actors. So, if my life was a Harry Potter novel, I wouldn't be Harry Potter. I'd be I'd be if I was lucky, I'd be Ron, maybe Ron Weasley, or maybe I'd just be one of the actors, you know, sitting at the uh, sitting at the table in the big hall. Or if, if my life was Star Trek, I wouldn't be Captain Kirk. I'd be one of the guys in the red jumpers, probably going to get shot in the background. <laughs> Jesus is the central character of my life story. And when you realise that, and you have that perspective, it does help us, you know, in those ups and downs. Because, you know, we know the story of Joseph. We know how it ends. Um, it, it does help us in those ups and downs, actually, to trust him and to understand that there's something much bigger, much more cosmic, much more eternal going on um, than just us. And Jesus is at the centre of it. His name is on the front cover of the book. Um, and it's him, actually, who gets the glory of leading myriads of refugees into heaven, into his kingdom. And then this, um, the last point. Um, actually, the brothers were recommissioned for mission. There's an implication. So, by by reconciling with his brothers, Joseph isn't just isn't just a happy family story, a good ending. Actually, um, it has a significant impact on on them, on 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 their destinies, and on the on the on the destinies of their children and their grandchildren. 
Because Joseph says in verse 7, doesn't he? But God has sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So there's a remnant. God has sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant. Actually, if they hadn't have been reconciled with Joseph, if Joseph hadn't have brought them into Egypt and provided for them in the famine, then they probably would have died in the famine. Their descendants wouldn't have been amongst God's people who left Egypt in the Exodus. These brothers, their descendants wouldn't have been in Egypt. So their their descendants wouldn't have been in the Exodus. They wouldn't have been part of that chosen people. They wouldn't have been part of that people who inherited the promised land. They wouldn't have been part of that people through whom the Messiah was was going to come. You know, Jesus wouldn't have been the, the line of the tribe of Judah. But actually by reconciling with them, by bringing them into Egypt... Actually, they are brought into that mission again. They're brought back into that mission, God's mission for his chosen people. The promises of God over their family are uh, reactivated in their lives. And it's the same for us. It's the same for us as Christians, that actually when we become Christians, we're not just, we're not just saved, we're not just you know, saved from hell, actually we're brought into a mission. Paul puts it like this, he says, um, so carrying on from, from, from 2 Corinthians um, 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here, and all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Um, And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So when, when we're saved, when we're reconciled with God, when we're brought back into relationship with the Heavenly Father through Christ, we receive the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus says, doesn't he, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Actually, being a child of God means you're a peacemaker. It means you're an ambassador as well. Actually, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, which means we have authority. An ambassador has authority, authority to speak and act on behalf of the government they represent. You know, in Joseph's time, the emperor, the pharaoh. The king. Um, in at the start of the outbreak of the Second World War uh, in 1939, there was a there were there were a number of um, ambassadors, consul, uh, consulate officials in countries that had that were that had been um, occupied by by the Nazis, who used their power to help um, Jews escape from um, the Gestapo. So there were, there were, you know, there, there. You, you can Google it, but they, you know, the, the, um, even even from Iran, the, one of the, the, the kind of the, the ambassador from Iran um, helped um, Jews to escape from the Nazis. Iran, uh, Spain, uh, Salvador, lo- uh, lots of countries, um, China, and also there's one one guy called, and I'm, and this, I'm not going to pronounce it properly, I'm sure, but. Um, Chiyun Sugihara, a Japanese consular official in, in Lithuania. There he is there. 
That's him. And that's one of the visas that, uh, that, that he issued. And it's, it's thought that he issued nearly 6,000 visas to Jewish refugees, enabling them to escape the Nazis. And a lot of those were for families. So it's more than 6,000 people, probably, that he, that he helped to save. Um, and his, his government's relationship with, um, you know, with, with, as part of the Axis power didn't help. He didn't have official permission, actually, from his government. Um, but he had the authority in his position to issue visas. So that's what he did. He had the official, he had the authority of his position to be able to issue visas and to negotiate as well. So he went to the Soviet Union and he negotiated safe passage for Jewish families leaving Lithuania um, uh, with the Soviet Union. And it's said that he wrote the visas out by hand. He spent 18 to 20 hours a day handwriting visas for Jewish families. Um, and even when they came to remove him, you know, to, when he was relieved of his position, when he was in the car, he was still writing visas and throwing them out the windows. And, he, and then on the train, he just signed blank pages and threw them out the windows to waiting refugees. And he was asked, like, why did he do it? And his answer was, you know, when, when confronted by the humanitarian, humanitarian situation, that it was the right thing to do. But here was, here was a guy who had, he had authority. He had the power um, to act. And to um, and 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 as Christ's ambassadors, actually we have he didn't have permission. We have permission. We have permission. In fact, we don't just have permission. We have heavenly orders, don't we? We have the great commission to go into all the earth and preach the good news and make disciples. So we don't just have permission. We have heavenly orders, and we have heavenly resources, heavenly authority, and heavenly resources. Um, in fact, we don't have time to look at um, the next section of this passage where basically Pharaoh says, don't, don't bother bringing anything. Tell your families, don't bring anything with you. You can pack light. I'm going to provide the best of everything for you. There's heavenly provision for us in our mission. But we're called to use our heavenly authority uh, to warn, to negotiate, to appeal and to facilitate the salvation of refugees from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom, the kingdom of light. By being reconciled with Christ, where we receive the, the um, ministry of reconciliation. So we see in this passage, relationships are restored. There's no, there's no fear. There's no fear for us because fear is to do with punishment. We can we can we we can be um, reconciled with God through Christ. There's power in perspective, um, and we've been recommissioned for the mission.